Okay, friends, welcome to the Everyday Mulemanship Podcast. It is episode 110. That's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> when we started this last year, I didn't think I'd I'd get to 110 episodes, but uh, here we are, just having a blast. And, you know, I'm really grateful to all of you for your support. I really appreciate you. So today's Mule Tip Tuesday, and we're going to jump in. Got a few good topics to talk about, a lot of good questions. I'll see if I can get to them all. I appreciate you guys sending in these questions. Um, you know, if you ever have a question for Mule Tip Tuesday, you know, just send it to ty at tsmules.com. Just send me that email. Make sure you put in the uh, subject line, question for Mule Tip Tuesday. That way, when we're sorting through, uh, we can uh, put it on the list for Mule Tip Tuesday and and hopefully uh, give you an answer. So, you know, uh, today was the first day of our, of our uh, we, we have these semi-private group clinics here at my place in the summer. And today was the first day and uh, <clears throat> it was a pretty good day. And, and I'm going to do a, a debrief on this later on. But, you know, every, every morning, the cool thing about these semi-private clinics is that we get to um, just, just have a little meeting because there's only five people, have a little meeting and we chat. And we kind of discuss what we're going to do. We talk about each animal, talk about our plans, talk, you know, kind of what we want to get done. And then I like to give them a little message every day, something to, something to kind of get the juices flowing, kind of get them thinking about mulemanship, kind of get them thinking about, you know, the bigger picture, what we're trying to get done here. And, and today I started by sharing with them, uh, a thought on this whole idea of having a process. And, um, this is something that, you know, uh, a lot of people kind of get dogged on for, like, it seems like uh, there's a group of people out there that kind of like to make fun of somebody with a process. And, and, you know, everybody that's ever given me crap for having a process or kind of following this, uh, you know, uh, this, this way of doing things, um, <clears throat> they don't really have a process. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it's totally come from two different worlds. And I'm not saying, you know, one is right or one is wrong. They're just different and the results will be different. But, you know, I, I like a process and, you know, I like this idea of, of having a checklist. You know, I learned, I learned this idea of having a checklist from, from Buck Branneman and, uh, I've been blessed to be able to go to, you know, one of his clinics. I try to go to one clinic every year. I've been going for the past, I don't know, I think I've been to eight or nine of them now, you know, for the past eight or nine years then, I guess. Um, and it's been a lot of fun, uh, learning this. And then of course, uh, you know, it, it seems like as, as the further I get into this process, the, the more it, it becomes, um, what I need it to become. And, um, uh, you know, but, but having an, an organized way, there's a lot of benefits to it. And I'm not saying your process needs to be the same as my process. But one thing I do know is that there's so much evidence out there now. There's just way too much evidence for me to argue with anymore. You know, this stuff just, it just works. Like, and it works on on everything, you know. Um, the cool thing about a process, at least this process that we follow, this checklist is, you know, there's really no time stamp on it. There's really no time limit on it. There's no rule saying you need to do this in this amount of time, or you need to do that in that amount of time. It seems like some people will, um, you know, 
it, it's a it's a wide variety, but some people will kind of get after you if you if you take too long to do groundwork. And then another another group kind of gets after you if you don't take long enough to do groundwork, you know. So the thing is, is is I don't worry about trying to please everybody, you know, what what they think really doesn't matter. What what matters is what this mule that I'm working with thinks and what this mule that I'm working with right now, what they understand and what they need right now. So, you know, in this whole process, this checklist, some mules need more time on different things. Um, some mules don't need as much time. Some mules have more confidence, some have less. And the cool thing about this checklist is you just go through it and you do what fits. Now, something I wanted to mention with this whole process and this whole checklist idea is, I guess I want to mention, you know, probably the most commonly asked question. Okay, when do you quit working on something? When do you move on to the next thing? When should you stay on it? You know, when do you go back? So kind of this uh, this, uh, this question of, you know, how, how do you teeter back and forth on this scale of, of working on these different things? So here's here's a couple thoughts and this is basically my my formula for how i make decisions with my mule whether i should move forward whether i should stay working on where whatever it is or whether i should go back number 1 i always observe remember and compare so i observe you know like so say i rode yesterday i'm going to observe how that ride went i'm going to remember it and today again i'm going to observe today's ride I'm going to remember it. And then I'm going to compare the two rides. Okay. I'm going to compare. Let's just pick one thing. Let's pick one thing. Let's pick backing up. Okay. We're going to work on backing our mule up. Okay. So we go up through the checklist, working on all the pieces leading up to the backup. I don't just come out and get on and back up. No, I, I go through the list of things. Okay. That I need to do. And, uh, so today I back up. Okay. I have, is it, is, is it worse today than yesterday? Is it the same today as yesterday? Or is it better today than yesterday? If it's if it's the same, at, if it's at least the same, I can either A, quit for the day and say, okay, well, at least it's the same. We'll leave it at that. Or um, I could possibly move on to the next piece. Um, although it's usually that's usually not the case. I usually try to get that move a little bit better, but I could, I could move on to the next piece. Um, you know, con considering that that move is satisfactory, right? Um, okay. Then I ask, well, let's see, is it better? Is, is this move better? If it's better then yeah, I could totally just stop for the day and that could be good. I could be completely done riding for the day. I say, okay, I just got that move. That would move was better. Cool. Okay. Or, it's better, so now I can move on to the next step on the checklist and keep climbing that list, okay? Um, or if, if the move is is uh, worse, if the move is worse than yesterday, then I definitely don't move on, for sure. Like, that's not going to happen. You don't move on if it's worse. So I could continue working on that same move uh, until it is at least the same or better than yesterday, or if it's, you know, like I said, if it's worse, I could go back to the previous steps and get those steps even better. I can get those steps even better, um, those, those, basically those prerequisites, and then come back and check on this. Okay, so those are a couple things I could do. The other thing, though, 
and this is this is one of those things that a lot of really good horsemen um I don't think that they don't tell you these things because uh I don't because they, they don't want to keep it from you but I just think sometimes the you know good horsemen good mulemen don't realize what they're doing that makes their animals so good one thing that I found if it, if I come out here today and and it's better it's better than yesterday I don't always move on to the next step nor do I always quit I don't always move on I don't always quit okay I I might just go back to the prerequisites and say, you know, that looks pretty good. That That's looking fine. So I don't want my mule to think, geez, they're always, um, you know, man, they always push and it always has to be more. It always has to be better. It always, um, you know, geez, Ty, Ty always asks for, for more. It doesn't have to be that way, you know. Um, so I might go back to prerequisites, things that the, the mule is really good at and try to get that, try to get that, uh, just, just go back and kind of review it, check on those things. And, and I might just call it, um, a day at that. So I guess I don't always have to move on. Um, and I, and I, I do have a mindset for progress. Like I want to, I want to move on. I want to be better and better, but I don't always have, have to push to the next step. And then the other thing with this whole process too, that that I have found has been really, really beneficial is, is as I, as I climb this, as I climb this checklist, okay, I don't end on the most challenging thing. So let's say I, I go through, I, I move the hinds, I move the front, I work on soft feel, I work on backing up, I work on stops, um, and my stops, you know, are challenging. Maybe it's challenging to, to get those good flat stops. Okay. Well, instead of just pushing to get to those flat stops and, and then getting it done and then ending on that challenge, I might get those stops and then I might go back down the list and just kind of daisy chain back down that list on things that are really easy yeses. So a big part of this whole checklist, this process thing is, you know, in the beginning, getting your meal saying yes. Okay. And then keeping them saying yes and uh, getting them ready for the next step. That's a big, a really big piece there. So anyways, um, the other thing I wanted to mention about this whole process thing is, is sometimes people get hung up on one thing or the other. And, and sometimes they, you know, I'm, I'm not looking for perfection. I just want to be a little better than yesterday. One of my favorite words is, is, is being a, betterist. You know, I'm not a perfectionist, but I'm a betterist. I just want to be better than I was yesterday, you know. And and that's, you know, you can measure that in different ways. You know, it might be you might just your relationships a little bit better. Maybe the move, the mechanical move is better. Maybe all the above, whatever. But I want a little bit better than yesterday if I can. Um so don't get hung up on trying to get every little piece perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect, okay? The other thing, though, is, is you, you know, on one, spec, one end of the spectrum, you have this, these perfectionists that don't ever move on, and they do groundwork for five years. And because of that, well, nope, it's got to be good before I move on, okay? And then the other end of the spectrum is you have folks that just don't even care about any quality whatsoever, and it's just they just want to get in the saddle 
and go. And, uh, you know, they, they never really have, have anything, anything that great going on. So you, you gotta be right there in the middle, you know, just move, do what the mule is ready for and do what you're ready for. Um, cause if you're both ready, you'll have a lot of success. So anyways, that's my, uh, my mule tip for Tuesday today. Okay. Uh, I would love to know what you think of that. So be sure to let me know what you think of that. You can leave a review here on the podcast, especially if you listen on Apple podcasts or just send me an email. Let me know uh, what you think, but look, we're going to jump into some, we're going to jump into some uh, questions we got here um, and see what we can get done here. Um, the first question comes from Casey Devine. Um, she sent, uh, let's see, Casey sent me an email here and um, basically saying that uh, they got a mule named Nate, 13-year-old mule, um, and Nate has some some possible vision issues, okay? The mule may have some vision issues on the left side here, the left eye here. And, uh, you know, Casey says that Nate can roll the hinds and can clear the front. Um, but uh, the main question is, uh, and I'm, I'm going to read this now. Here's the heart of my question. I have not figured out the right way to ask him to do centered circles. We can get him to do almost one quote, jerky circle, uh, but then he squares up every time on both sides, wondering if this problem also stems from vision trouble and how can we communicate the question of center circles in a better way? Okay, so the question is is on the ground here, dealing with centered circles. Um, you know, one thing I had to focus on, Casey, is, is you know, uh, a lot of times we think a move is better than it is, and then we start to check on it, and it's not quite good. But typically, if you can really clear the front um, and not just drive the front, there's a difference. A lot of people will walk around and try to get behind that shoulder to to initiate the circle, and they think that they're clearing the front. But point the way you want to walk and walk the way you point. And, um, you know and really get that front end to yield, you already, if you can just clear the front correctly, you, you basically have a quarter of a circle already done. And then it's just a matter of continuing on from that. Um, so I would really double check clearing the front and, and, you know, if you need to draw yourself a chalk line out there of a circle and then put the mule's hind end on the circle and the front end inside, and then just put that front end back on the circle. And you can check on it that way. You know, the other the other thing you can do working on trying to get these circles um, kind of built um, is to set up two cones. And I like to set them about four foot apart, three or four feet apart uh, on your circle line. So you're going to send the mule between these two cones. So picture that circle line going right through uh, the middle of those these two cones. Okay. And that's where you want to send your mule. By doing that, by doing that, it will give you intention. You will have a goal. You'll ha have a focus point where you want to send that mule and and put them through that through that specific circle. The other thing too is, if you're having a hard time getting one circle, focus on getting nice half circles and quitting, nice three quarter circles and quitting, and uh, you know lots of things that way too. That'll help you build some quality there. You know, um, the other thing too is sometimes. 
uh, these mules, when they're, if you're having a heck of a time on these circles, it's often because they're pulling away from you. Like a lot of times the mules will tip their nose out and you're trying to go, say you're trying to make a circle to the right, but they're on the left lead. And yes, they can walk on these leads, right? So they're sort of walking on the left lead and, you know, driving to the outside of the circle. And, and that makes your circle really clunky. So you kind of bump the nose in a little bit and, um, kind of drive at the ribs or the hip and that seems to help a lot and uh so you can do that and that you know you might see some changes there too uh the other thing is you know think about that forward motion see a lot of times if they're having a heck of a time on the end of your lead rope making a good circle for you and and going where you want to go it's often because they the forward motion is is lacking quite a lot so you know you might even take a step back and go back to your round pen and just do some work, you know, do kind of some liberty work and get that mule going and stopping and, and making some circles just on the rail too. That might help you. So anyways, uh, and then Casey has one other question. Do you have any tips on helping him become more comfortable with his vision challenges? You know, I've had a few mules that uh, the vision kind of goes bad and, you know, it's, it's not really it's not a great thing in between, um, you know, when they just kind of have poor vision. I'd almost rather them just not, you know, just be blind in the eye. It seems it's easier on them. I've had, I've had a few uh, uh, one-eyed mules, and they got along pretty good. But the mules that have just slight vision problems, it seems to, it seems to be a bit of a challenge. So, you know, just take it easy. No surprises. Um, figure out where the uh basically their you know their you know quote blind spots are right um and and try not to surprise them try to help them out there too uh you know do the best you can on that but you might find it's easier when when the vision maybe when the meal's almost all all the way blind uh in that eye it might be easier for you um I've known a few friends that the, the vision does go pretty bad in one eye and, and they end up just kind of taking the eye out and it, you know, cause otherwise the mule lives in this world of shadows where they see these weird, you know, shadows and, and weird lights and, and it's really challenging for them to, to place. And, and I, I also kind of, it's, it's tough on their balance too. So I might, uh, I'd recommend you talk to your vet, uh, more about the vision stuff, um, you know, my end is the behavior and, you know, it's kind of hard to deal with that behavior when they're seeing all sorts of different light shades and, and shadows and stuff for sure. Okay. Um, let's move on to the next question. Thanks for that question, Casey. Let me know what you think. Um, Christine writes in, hi, I'm a longtime horse owner, but a first time mule owner. I have just subscribed to your video library and it is very helpful. My husband and I also love your podcast and listen to it on the way to a trail ride. Uh, a couple of thoughts on topics that maybe you could address. Could you list the topics covered in, in video Mule Tip Tuesday? Um, uh, also, I'd love to hear these subjects addressed. So, so it, uh, Christine, um, if you listen, like, for example, on Apple Podcasts, um, well, pretty much any podcast platform, all of our 110 episodes that we've done the podcast is is on there archived and you can go back and and listen to them and if you just go through the the subject headings you can kind of see what topics we've we've discussed um 
you know, also if you click on any of the, uh, you know, the little descriptions, I, I often list, you know, questions that were asked. Uh, also, um, I don't know, Christine, if you do social media, but if you, any of you that are on Facebook, you guys can go to our page TS Mules on Facebook and go to videos. And we have Mule Tip Tuesdays there from since 2016. We've been doing Mule Tip Tuesday since 2016. There's There are all kinds on there. So um, uh, let's go on here. Also, I'd love to have these subjects addressed. And so this is what I'm going to talk about here. Mule, the first one Christine says is mules versus horses. So mules versus horses, the first thing, Christine, is, is I don't really think of it as versus um, I love horses. I love donkeys too, but you know, mules are obviously, I mean, my main thing. That's, that's what I'm into most is the mules. Um, but horses and donkeys are amazing and you got to have both to make a good mule. Um, you know, there's a lot of differences and we have done some, we've, we've actually done quite a few episodes talking about, uh, you know, differences and, and scenarios, but you know, one of my favorite quotes from Tom Dorrance, and I share this with with a lot of people I meet that are new to mules, but um, I get a lot of people say, yeah, I've been in horses and I just got mules and they're completely different. Uh, are they really? Um, because for me, they're not. I don't, I don't do much different. Um, and one of my favorite quotes from Tom Dorrance is, you have to treat a mule the way you should treat a horse. You have to treat a mule the way you should treat a horse. And he's talking about here in this, in this quote, he's talking about how to really get some quality work going with your mule, quality relationship, um, a good handle on them. You know, you should, you, you have to treat the mule the way you should treat a horse. Um, a lot of people get along with horses. Horses seem to be easier to get along with um, for the general public for, for one sad reason uh, is you know, you can, you can unfortunately make a, a horse do a lot of things and, and get away with it for a time. And, and, and for some things, there's some things I don't think you get away with, um, you know, and, and have the quality that I'm looking for. Um, but a lot of people get away with a lot of things with a horse. And I don't think the mule tolerates a lot of that. You know, the mules have such a high self-preservation and, um, you know, the pain, the pain tolerance seems less in a mule and therefore you get more reactions as far, you know, just, um, get, you know, they just don't show it. Um, and sometimes they go into the shutdown really quickly, which is really detrimental. You know, a lot of people just talk about the flight and the, and the fight, but there's the freeze and the, the donkeys kind of give that to the mule and the mule is really prone to go into the freeze and people call it stubborn. And, and that's not a good thing. It's, it's not really accurate, you know? So, you know, we could go on and on mules and horses talking about similarities, differences, whatever. But as far as the, the work goes, and I don't know if that's exactly what you're asking about, Christine, but as far as the work that I do, there's nothing different. We get, you know, in a typical year, we'll have between four and 500 mules come through the clinics. We'll probably have, uh, you know, probably 150 or 200 horses come through the clinics and usually about 20 to 30 donkeys. Um, so, you know, we get a broad spectrum of, of breeds within those, all kinds of breeds. So, you know, and, and those can have such a variance too. 
in, in breeds of animals, you know, the, the behavior you get from different breeds is incredible. If, in fact, I think the, the difference you get in breeds is more incredible than, than the difference you get in the mules or the horses or the donkeys, you know, by themselves there. Um, but, you know, I don't have anybody do anything different. We work on the same things. We go through the same process, just like I was talking about earlier. Okay, the next thing she asked, Christine asked about is first-time mule owners. You know, this is something that I would like to do more of, and I, I, it seems like I don't do a lot of it, um, mostly because it seems like most of the clients, most of the, the, the students, most of the people that come to the clinics uh, typically have had animals a little while, but we get some first times of brand new mule owners. And, um, you know, I, I need to do more, uh, on that. Um, and in fact, we have a, we got a whole collection that's going to be hopefully released by the end of this year on our video library, all for first time mule owners, first time. So it's all the, we're going to call it beginner basics and it is going to cover everything from, from, you know, uh, handling that mule, uh, although just the beginner basics of handling a mule, saddling a mule, catching a mule, you know, getting on. I mean, all the, all the things that I, you know, that, that a lot of us that have rode our entire lives just kind of take for granted and don't even think about, we're going to have that. So, and if you have a more specific question on that, Christine, let me know. And any of you, if you have more specific questions there regarding first time mule owners, let me know. Um, uh, the next one here is, is, uh, plan to integrate new mule to a new place and bond with them. Um, the best integration you can do is to start building a relationship. And you do that by going to work, getting some stuff done, doing your groundwork, doing your riding. Uh, the best place to bond is out there on the trail, in my opinion, um, you know, out moving cows is even better than a trail ride for dang sure. Moving cows somewhere and having a, a real job to do, you'll really get some some bonding going on. And if that's what you're interested in, you know, the quicker you can get to asking questions and getting them answering you using the thinking side of their mind, that's great. Because uh, on the other hand, you might go out and you might start pounding miles on, but if you're not asking questions, you're not building that, quote, bond either, right? Um and just sitting in the crowd, hanging out with them, I don't think you you build it as thoroughly that way either. I mean, maybe they get familiar with you for sure. And, and some mules do need to get familiar with you, you know, and, and all this is so dependent on the animal for sure. I mean, it changes from animal to animal, but the basics kind of are the same. But um, the next one is, is mule diets in different regions of the USA. Um, they're in Georgia. Uh you know, I don't know what kind of feed you guys have there in Georgia. Maybe that, I don't know, Bermuda grass out there. I'm not sure. You'd, you'd want to consult when it comes to diet, you you know, in different regions of the USA, you want to consult your a, a veterinarian, not a not a trainer, not me. I'm a, I just teach people, um, you know, mulemanship. Um, but your diet, that's a good question for a veterinarian. They're the professionals in nutrition and um they can help you with that and tell you what you need out here in the intermountain west alfalfa is the main thing that's the easiest feed to find um it's the best feed for these crazy weather conditions of, of the hot and the cold that we get um and for the type of train that our meals required to work in that high protein of alfalfa does them a lot of good so i feed alfalfa i also like grass hay it seems like 
with grass hay, they do run out of, they run out of gas pretty quick. Um, you know, they don't have the longevity that the ones that eat alfalfa, alfalfa do. So, uh, it, you know, again, it depends on the mule and I would consult a veterinarian more than I would consult myself or a trainer about on that. But good questions. Um, okay, let's see. Uh, the next one Christine asks about here, uh, mule explosions uh, cause and, and how to deal with when you not detect any agitation, discomfort, and then they erupt physically. You know, that goes back to having a good handle on them. And, and we talk about that in every episode, Christine, of getting a good handle on them. A handy mule is a safe mule. Work on the handle, and that stuff will be fixed right up. Um, so, anyways, she goes on. She wants us to come do a clinic in Georgia. We'd love to come do a clinic in Georgia. Last time we was in Georgia, I think, was 2016 or 17, and uh, haven't been back since. We'd love to come. So, hey, if anybody's out there in Georgia that wants to host a clinic... Sounds like Christine would come. So, hey, we're going to take a quick break right now. And when we come back, we got a couple more great questions uh, for y'all. And, um, yeah, so let's thank some sponsors right now. Hey, I want to thank our amazing sponsors at Mules and More magazine. Mules and More has been around a long time. It's a great magazine. And uh, shoot, I've been reading this magazine since I was just a little kid. I remember my dad subscribed to this when I was little and I'd read it every month and loved it. And now uh, our good friend Corey Daniels has taken over as editor of this magazine the last few years and she has done an amazing job. Um, also, did you know that Meals More comes in a digital format? You can download it on your phone, read it wherever you're at. So. Hey, be sure to check them out, mulesmore.com. And, uh, you know, hey, tell them Ty sent you. I'd be very grateful. Mulesmore.com. Hey, I want to jump on here real quick and give a big shout out to my buddy Colton Erring. Um, if you're looking for a good custom built saddle that fits mules and fits you, you need to check out Colt Saddlery. You find them on Facebook. Colt Salary and uh, tell him Ty sent you. He will take good care of you. All right, friends, welcome back to the Everyday Mulemanship Podcast. We're on uh, Mule Tip Tuesday here, and I'm answering some questions. Uh, appreciate you guys that have emailed these questions in. Don't be shy if you have a question. Um, even if we've answered it before, send it in. We're happy to talk. Uh, about these things and help you out. So Jacob Edmonston writes in, um, Hello, I remember listening to a podcast a while back when you discussed your recommendations on bringing a new horse or mule home to join the herd. Unfortunately, I can't seem to find it. Can you help me, uh, help point me in the right direction to re-listen to this episode? Yeah, Jacob, um, uh, I don't, I can't remember which episode number it was, but you know, there's 110 of them, <laughs> but if you kind of scroll back through them, you might be able to find it. And, uh, but I'm going to talk about it for you again, Jacob. And even though we've discussed it before, I'll talk about it again because a lot of people might've missed this, but you know, when I bring a new mule home to join the herd, ideally, if I can, hopefully I got good pins and like here I got, I got drill pipe, you know, solid metal pins that are just, it's really as tough as nails and, and, uh, you know, it's a great pin and, um, so I'm not going to have trouble with them pushing on fences, jumping fences, whatever. And, and 
when I bring a new mule home, I, I like to just put them in a corral, one of my pens right next to the rest of the herd. Okay, that way they kind of integrate a little bit through the fence and there's not a lot of the kicking, biting, fighting drama right in the beginning. You're going to have that anyways, okay? You just be prepared. You're going to have that. When you turn that mule out, no matter if it's been there a week or a month or a day, you're going to have some kicking and some fighting. That's just, that's nature. That's life. That's how it's going to be, okay? But I do like to keep them in a corral that kind of next to the others for a day or two if I can. Um, I want I want them to integrate into that herd as quick as I can because you'll, you know, just for the health of that animal, they will, they will relax quite a bit by being integrated into that herd rather than being kept away from the herd. Some people say, you know, you know keep them by themselves, make them bond to you. Well, they'll get to where they understand what you mean to them. Okay, maybe you bring the feed to them, maybe you bring the water to them, and maybe you do become a source of comfort. That's all fantastic. But at the end of the day, you are not a mule. <laughs> and we can sometimes some of us act like one and, and uh, you know, we are part of that herd, so to speak. But at the end of the day, we're not a mule. Okay. We're not a mule. Um, we're not a horse. They need to be integrated into a herd. They do better health wise, uh, mentally, everything with a herd. So as soon as I can, I'm going to turn them out. And now if I know I have a couple of animals that are less likely to be bossy and kick and fight and fuss, I'm going to try to turn them out with them first if I can. If I if I have that option to split herd like that, I will. And uh, that way they integrate pretty quiet. Um, another method that I've seen used before, and I've used it, and it's really successful, is the one-at-a-time method. So you get home... And you just put them with one of the other animals. I have uh, I have uh, nine animals here. So, for example, I got a new mule. I'm going to integrate all nine animals one at a time. So I have that new mule out in the pen. I'm going to get one animal, turn them out. They're going to go through their little pecking order, figure each other out. Okay, good. We got that done. And that might take a half an hour. Okay, let's grab the other mule. Jump them in there. And now you got a, you got three mules in there. And, and there might be some kicking and biting, some running, whatever. Anyways, I'm going to do this and give them each 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half hour, whatever it needs to be um, to integrate. That's one of the easiest ways and one of the safest ways so you don't get mules kicked and bust legs and run through fences and stuff like that. You know, like I mentioned fences earlier, that's important because they are going to get running around. These new animals are going to run around. And um, you don't want one of them getting run through a fence or trying to jump a fence, you know, because of the pressure of the herd too. But that one-at-a-time method seems to be pretty successful, Jacob, in introducing a new animal to the herd. So anyways, thank you for that question, Jacob. Appreciate you writing in. Hopefully that helps you and uh, answers your question. And we'll try to find that other episode for you um, and give you the answer on that one too. So, okay, the next question, let's see if we can find it right here um, from, uh, let's see here, from Joan Kirk. Let's see if I can find this right here. Sorry. All right. Okay, here we are. We live in the country and don't see a lot of bicycles. They move so quiet. Even my well-trained mule will be very reactive if one would come up behind him. How can I make him safe to ride in this situation? Thank you in advance for any advice you can give me. All right, good question, Joan. You know, when it comes to the bicycles, yeah, they are quiet. They're hard to prepare for. Number one, I would say, you know, if I'm out on a trail, you know, at the trailhead, um, and, you know, I, I don't know where you're listening from, friends, wherever you are in the world, but here 
in the Intermountain West where I live. I live in Utah. Yeah, we got a lot of we got a lot of mountains. We got uh, thousands of miles of trails right here. Tons of I mean, the majority of the state of Utah is public lands. Okay, so we got a lot of recreational users out here, um, uh, bike riders to motorcycles, four wheelers to horses, mules, donkeys, llamas, you name it. Okay, and um, you know it's important that we all share. You know this is important because there's folks that don't want us to ride out here, and and there's a lot of equine people that really give bikers a hard time. You know, I got friends that do every, do all of it. So I feel for them, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, you gotta be aware. And a lot of people that are riding them bikes and, you know, my friends tell me when they're riding them bikes, you know, they, they got their focus right immediately ahead of them. They're not looking way down the trail. Uh, they gotta look right there. So as they're, as they're going, they're, you know, staring and paying attention. Now, you on your mule, you should be very aware. You know, you should be aware of what's ahead of you, what's behind you. Listen all the time. Your mule's relying on you to take care of them. So one of the easiest things that you can do to get your mule more comfortable in situations like that is to be aware and to let them know that you are aware. So for example, if I'm paying attention, which hopefully I am, and I hear a bike coming up behind me or I see a bike coming up behind me, I'm going to get off the trail now, even though out here in the Air Mountain West, all the yielding, everybody yields to equine, the hiker, the biker, whatever, everybody yields to equine. Okay. But even though that's the rule, the law, I don't care. I'm going to get off the trail and let that biker pass me. And the main reason is for my mule. I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to let the mule see that biker come by. And uh, if my mule's real scared, I'm going to get further off the trail. If, if my mule's not too worried, I might just barely step off enough for them to get by. But nonetheless, I am going to let them by, okay, even though they're supposed to yield to us. That's one of the best ways to get them over these things. Then, uh, you know, not to mention just getting the mule really handy, Joan. The, the handier your mule is, the more centered your mule is, the better that they're going to be. You're not going to have to worry about a mule jumping out from under you or taking off running or doing all these things. If you got your mule handy and you can keep them centered, you can keep them controlled. That's going to be a big help to you. So those those two things really is what I'd be doing. Now, some people, and I've seen this, I've, I've had people do this, and I've seen it done a lot, is people will ride their bikes around the mule. Now, familiarizing is a great way to, to get them over this too. You know, just them seeing the bikes off and seeing, you know, people pedaling by, getting familiar, that'll help too, you know. Um but, but I think the value of that is probably only 10 to 20% value at the end of the day. Your other 80 or 90% value is coming from being aware and have them handy. So I'd recommend those three things to you, Joan. Yeah, I appreciate that question. Let me know what you think. Hopefully that helps you too. Okay, next question comes from Jared Mayer. All right, let's read this here. Hey, Ty, I really appreciate all the feedback you've given me in the past. It has really helped me and my mule. I have yet another question for you. Give you a little history. I started I started Handy. I guess Handy's the mule. Uh, last year, I took my mule Handy to a friend who has horses while they're, uh, we rode the trails on multiple days. These trails had it all when in regards to technicality. And uh, the last ride I had him there, Ivan let out with him. Once I got back home, 
I took him in the round pen to ride him, and his anxiety was back. I made sure to work with him and engage his mind, etc. I really believe this wasn't a herd-bound issue because he has never really cared about returning to other animals, uh, but rather take comfort in being around them. Uh, he trusts the horse in front of him with his life while going through anything, but he isn't the same mule by myself. I could ride this mule in a flat pasture with nothing in sight and potentially have a runaway in 10 minutes. I can ride him with other animals for five hours on the trail with all kinds of challenges and not have a single issue. How do I change this? When I rode with other horses, I was riding him and not just being a passenger, and he responded well. What am I missing here? Okay, this is this this happens a lot, Jared. Um, I see this a lot, especially with colts, uh, where you can go ride and be with somebody and, and ride all sorts of trails everywhere. You get back home, you get working, um, you know, like in the round pen, like you're saying, or the arena, and you have more trouble. You know, in fact, if any of you have been following the Dally Diaries uh, this year, and I've, I've been slacking the last few weeks, uh, actually like the last month and a half, I've slacked on the Dally Diaries. Um, we left Dally home for quite a while, went out on a clinic tour and come back. But anyways, Dally is just like this, Jared. Um, Dally, I, I feel better on her out on the mountain. And I could even be by myself out on the mountain. But, you know, when I'm going around trees, bushes, logs, rocks, moving cows, whatever, I feel safer on her there than I do in the arena or the round pen. Just because her mind is engaged on where she's going. And that destination, that destination, um, idea, that destination focus that the mule has, it really benefits me out there on the trail. Whereas when I'm in the round pen or the arena, it's just for me. It's just for me. And I don't have Dally going good enough to where she's willing to work just for me yet. She needs something out of this. There's got to be something here for her. So um, I feel for you. You know, what What do you do about it? You know, just work on the checklist. Go, go through the basics. You know, get that groundwork to where they can learn how to self-regulate and relax just in their groundwork. Um, get your basic riding skills, just the basic stuff, J get that going. Just, you know, riding on course on loose reins, centered circles, just rolling the hinds, rolling fronts, all those basic little moves, get those good, um, ask and then quit and relax, ask, quit, relax, ask, quit, relax, and just keep going through that until they can kind of learn how to self-regulate and relax with you there where they're not just on the instinct. You're getting along out on the trail because the mule is on the instinct. So really you're not getting along. And I, I know, like I said, I'm, I'm dealing with this with Dally. You're really not getting along. It's really not as great as you think it is. And it's only going to be decent until you get into trouble. That's it. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that's the reality of it. Uh, so work at it everywhere you're at, trying to get this stuff good. Make sure when you're out on the trail, you are going through that checklist. Um, you know, and I'm not saying don't work out on the trail. I mean, because like with Dally, I feel better. I, I I get more done when I'm out there than when I'm in the arena. But I need it to I need it to be consistent everywhere because my mule needs to be an everywhere mule. I don't want a trail mule. I don't want a cow mule. I don't want an arena mule. I want an all-around mule. I want a do-it-all, yes mule. That's what I'm looking for. So my mule needs to be consistent everywhere I'm at. Trail, arena, cow pasture you know, whatever. I need to be consistent everywhere. So my suggestion, like I said, 
Go through the checklist everywhere you're at. Be consistent. Ride the exact same everywhere you're at. That means when you go down the trail, don't just jump down the trail and just start following somebody. That means you're going through your list. You're getting things good. You're paying attention. You're being aware. You're getting getting the responses you're looking for. You're not just pounding miles down the trail. That's how you're going to get it good everywhere. Okay, good question, Jared. Thank you. All right, I have one more here if I can find it. From Zach Barnes. Okay, Zach. What is the best way to teach a mule to neck rein? Do you lateral flex mules like horses? My mule will rein okay until I'm do uh, until I'm doing anything new that stresses him or scares him. Then he stiffens up and will only go the way he wants to go. Okay, Zach. Good question. I appreciate you writing in. Um, you know, when it comes to a neck rein, um, there's a little bit of a uh, I don't know how to say it. Um, people kind of the Hollywood version of neck rain. They, they We call it the John Wayne neck rain. Now, I love John Wayne movies, but don't get me wrong, but the John Wayne neck rain, that's when you're trying to turn, you're turning the mule left and they're looking to the right. You turn them to the right and they're looking left. You're basically when people try to rain with the outside rain too short. Okay. I'm not interested in that neck rain. To me, first of all, we need to define what what do I mean if I say a neck rein? I, when I say neck rein, I mean that if I, if I set my rein on the neck, that creates lateral flexion. So, for example, I set my right rein on the right side of the mane on that neck, on the right side of the neck there, is going to create a lateral flexion, a bend for that mule to the left. Okay, and it's done on a loose rein. I'm not pulling that neck rein, that outside rein. I'm not pulling that rein tight. So that neck rein should create lateral flexion in the animal. A lot of people will quote neck rein, but the animal's rigid or they neck rein and the mule is actually counterbent. And that's really undesirable. So it needs to create that lateral flexion. So that's what I'm trying to get to. Um, the best way to teach it is thousands upon thousands of repetitions, Zach, over and over and over. The whole Snafflebit process and the Hackamore process and part of the two-rein process, you have, you're dealing with, with uh, you know, both hands. So you're not just riding one-handed. This is so that you can assist the animal in creating this bend. For example, if I want to do a turnaround to the left. And by the way, the neck rein really only applies when you're trying to move the front end or in sweeping turns. It doesn't really apply in like sharp circles or something like that, you know, or moving the haunches. It only has to do with sweeping turns or moving the front end, okay? So, you know, in the snaffle bit, in the hackamore, I have my inside rein, my directing rein to assist. And it's that job of that directing rein to create this muscle memory of this outside rein. So I, the outside rein comes across the neck. Okay. My directing rein picks up and creates that lateral, lateral flexion, creates the bend. And I do it over and over and over every time. And I follow the order of operations to Zach seat, leg, rein, seat, leg, rein. Every time I'm making any, any style of turn, it's seat, leg, rein. So go through that list there. Seat is first, leg is second, and then rein is third. Well, the rein is the most primitive tool. 
That is that is the the least advanced tool. Seat is the most advanced tool. Leg is right there in the middle. So I'd like to get it done with just my seat. Well, my seat doesn't work very good there. Okay. Well, I like to get it done with my legs. Okay. Well, my leg's not working that great. Okay. Fine. We'll go down to the rain. The rain is the very last on the list. So even if you get your quote neck rain going good, that's still the last thing on the list of quality. You you can get better than that. And so the other thing too, uh, you know, this whole neck rain business really what's hidden there is is really quality leg cues. You get to where your meal really responds to your leg. And then you can just set that rein there, but they're still mostly moving off of your leg. And that's what I really want is the mule to move off my seat and my legs and not have to do so much with my reins. Because I plan on my reins being busy uh, or my hand, my rein hand being busy. Like I'm holding my rope, you know, in the Brandon pan. I'm leading the pack mule. You know, I don't want to have to have both hands on my reins. And I also don't really want to have to use just one hand with the reins either. I, I like it, the mule to respond quite a bit off of my seat and my legs. So, uh, and then the other part of the question here, do you lateral flex mules like horses? Yeah, I, I, I work on lateral flexion. Lateral flexion um, is only valuable. And if you've been to a clinic, you've, you guys have heard me say this before. Lateral flexion is only valuable if it is measurable, not this guy always thinks I say miserable. No, measurable. Okay, you need to be able to measure it. That means can I ask that mule to flex to 45 degrees? Can I ask him to flex to 90? I don't ever ask him to flex past 90 degrees. I don't need it. So I don't need him to bend back to my leg. That's not valuable to me. I don't have any use for that. There's no moves that require me to bend that mule's head back to my leg. So 90 degrees is as farthest that they would bend. Um, 45, you use that quite a lot especially turning on the haunches, use 45 degrees quite a lot. So, yeah, lateral flexion is important. Um, I need lateral flexion for, you know, rolling the hinds, rolling the fronts. I need lateral flexion as a prerequisite to my collection, my soft feel and collection. I need to be able to build the collection one side at a time, and you do that through lateral flexion. Um, that's a prerequisite to that longitudinal flexion for sure. Uh, I need lateral flexion for my leg yields. Um, building a side pass, um, my half pass, haunches in, shoulder in. I need I need that lateral flexion for all those moves, all those moves, lead changes, all that stuff. So yeah, definitely important. Great question, Zach. And uh, this is a, a great bunch of questions from everybody. If I answered your question today, I'd appreciate it if you would uh, let me know what you think. Uh, just send me an email or or leave a review. Either way. I'd love to know what you think of the answers I give you. And if any of you ever have questions or comments or anything, you can feel free to send me uh, send me an email, ty at tsmeals.com. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, I guess specifically, um, that's really the only podcast platform you can leave a review on. I'd love to hear from you. And I'd appreciate it. If you think we're worth it, leave a five-star review. And, um, yeah, leave your comments there. I'd love to know what you think. So, I appreciate all of you listening today. I hope you're having a great day wherever you're at. Get out there, ride your mules, enjoy the uh, great summer we have going on here. And uh, until next time, God bless you, and we'll see you down the road.